Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 27, Fire Tower. Today, we are joined by Gwen Ruel, one of the designers of Fire Tower and co-owner of Runaway Parade Games. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this was awesome. So I am excited to talk about Fire Tower. But first, how did you get into the gaming industry? Yeah, so... um... I've always loved board games. Uh, I've been designing them since I was a little kid. I think the first game I ever designed, as my uncle likes to fondly tell me, because I have no memory of this, was called Pigtails and Ponytails, where, I don't know, I think you attach little hairstyles to dolls or something like that. But I, um, yeah, Uh, yeah, very toddler version of me. (laughs) But yeah, so I've been interested in game design forever, but I just didn't know that it was possible to um, make a career out of it, to be honest. I didn't know there was a thing. You can study it in college when I went to college. Uh, So I was very excited to find out that people were doing that in the later 2000s. And it was definitely something that I wanted to get involved in. And luckily, my um, now fiance, uh, was also very interested in game design, and the two of us uh, worked on a game together. Uh, we had both done our own designs, but this was our first one that we did collaboratively, and that was Fire Tower. And it was just one of those designs that kind of came together really quickly. Um, we were really excited about it, and there was just a magic to, you know, like the first time of collaborating that I think worked really well with the game. So um, we decided to publish it through Kickstarter. And the rest is history. That's so cute. Would you say it was on fire? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's awesome. We have to have a fire tower themed wedding now. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Please. I mean, at least do the colors. <laughs> have some red in there somewhere. Oh, Cover geez. it with fire gems. Oh my god. Actually, though, really, I mean, you sell those, which I still find hilarious that you can buy like little fire pit things at your booths. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, he likes crafting things. And now, since then, I've gone really into it too. It's fun to like do handmade game accessories, something I never thought I'd be doing, but. It's really fun. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, everybody needs a secondary hobby on top of just game design. Right. (laughs) Well, awesome. So for anyone who has not played Fire Tower, would you mind explaining kind of like the premise and the rules? Yeah. Uh, So Fire Tower is a competitive forest fire game uh, where you fight fire with fire. So there's a, uh, the eternal flame is in the center of the board and each player is defending a fire tower in their corner of the board. And the way the game works is that you play as a firefighter and you have cards that allow you to extinguish the flames and cards that allow you to build fire breaks and things like that, which are, you know, typical firefighting techniques. But you also get to become the wind and flame and take on the role of nature to try and send the blaze towards your opponent and harness the power of the wind to uh, redirect it towards your friends. So... That's what makes it competitive. (laughs) Um, uh, So basically, it's a pattern building game. And uh, the game features these big, chunky fire gems, which is what we were just talking about. Um, And you can place them in patterns to send towards 
uh, your opponents. And meanwhile, you can play cards to try and block them from and stop them from coming towards you. So what made you guys think like, let's burn each other to the ground? What's <laughs> the inspiration and motivation for that? You know, what's so funny is like, we never had that thought. Like, I, <laughs> I think that we were just like, you know, it'd be a really great theme for a game is fire. And we've been playing a lot of co-ops at the time. And what we really liked about them is that the game itself intensifies um, and sort of works against the other, the players that are working together to, you know, fight whatever it is, whether it's a monster or zombies or, you know, a flood or whatever it is that you're playing against. And um, so we love that idea, but we wanted to keep it competitive. So in Fire Tower, the fire is going to grow no matter how you play the game but you can try and manipulate it as you go. So it's still a competitive game, but it has a feeling of, you know, that co-op feeling that there's something bigger that's happening that you can't stop, that you're trying to uh, protect yourself from. Very cool. And did you guys ever play, uh, it was Hot Shots from Fireside Games? Cause like that was originally what I thought of when I saw your guys' booth. I was like, ooh, is it like Hot Shots? And then I played it and I was like, oh my God, no, I can actually win this game or the other <laughs> one that fire one majority of the time. <laughs> I've actually never played Hot Shots. It's embarrassing. I've heard about it so many times, but I've never actually played it. I've played Flashpoint, which is another game that gets brought up a lot. Um, which is a competitive, or sorry, a cooperative firefighting game. Um, but no, I've, I've heard so much about hot shots that I'm almost to the point where I'm like, I can't play this game. I'm never going to play it. <laughs> no, okay. It seems like it's really great. Co-ops, but it's super different. Oh, really? Like, yeah, no, it's actually one of my favorites, but it's because oh. it's really difficult. Um, a lot of my friends will not play it again with me, which makes it hard <laughs> to get into. Oh, that's funny. I, yeah. I love really hard co-ops. That's my favorite. Uh, I should check it out. I, oh, I take yeah, it back. You should. You should. Just so like anytime someone mentions it. <laughs> But, um, so, all right, in your game, I know that you can get burned to the ground, but are you actually out or are you doing something else if you do get knocked out? Yeah, so in our base game, if your tower gets burned, you take on a new role uh, called Shadow of the Wood. But in our base game, it's just uh, a card that comes up that allows you to play a few moves at that moment. Um, But in our expansion, we've turned it into a whole new role. So. Now the shadow of the wood is trying to win the game by essentially making all other players lose by burning down all remaining towers uh, in one turn. And they have a special die that's extremely powerful to do that. Uh, And they can actually work with other burned towers and make a team of shadows to do that. So all of a sudden they've got like a, a totally asymmetric thing that they're trying to do, which is really fun. And uh, either way, it's such a fast paced game. So it's kind of fun to watch like in these end game, you know, the final moves of the game, all of a sudden you've got these shadows and they're trying to, you know, race to beat everybody uh, when other towers are just trying to, you know, keep their tower from burning. Um, so that's been a really fun addition through our expansion. And I know you have a few different expansions. Would you mind like walking through each expansion and what it added to the game? Yeah, sure. So that uh, is part of our Rising Flames expansion. Uh, And the other major thing that we added in that expansion was Firehawks. So Firehawks are actual birds. Uh, And while we were working on this game, National Geographic, for the first time ever, got footage of Firehawks doing what they do. So they're hawks that will actually hunt at the edge of forest fires. They'll pick up branches of burning, you know, 
matter. And then they'll set a new fire somewhere else so that the rodents will run out of that area and they can catch them. Really incredible hawks. Um, that is insanely smart, but also like, <laughs> what? Like, I wonder how much heat those beaks can withstand. Like, what? I know it's crazy, and it's also, I, it's just so brilliant. Though, I mean, I guess over time, you know, like through millennia, they realized that the animals were running out of the fire, and it's really cool. But anyway, um, people have been talking about them forever, but nobody's actually gotten footage of it until recently. So it was really exciting. We'd heard of the legend of the Firehawks and we heard that they were probably real when we were making the game. We were like, okay, that's good enough for us. We'll add it. We really want to put this in. Because uh, they have a really cool mechanic in the game where if fire enters the space that they're on, the hawk will actually pick it up and fly it to another part of the board. So it allows you to have like an offense and a defense in near your tower, which is really fun. So yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, we also, in the same expansion, we add, added a bunch of new content, uh, more weather events. So one of the things that happens in the base game is the firestorm comes up, uh, which is an event that sort of changes the board and intensifies the fire and there's more of those in the expansion that do different things there's lightning storms and wind storms and all these other things all based on real events that take place um either you know in wildfires and uh equipment things like that so this is this is our rising flames expansion it's our main one uh and then we also uh had two mini expansions uh one that has uh buckets and water gems added to the game so water gems build wet lines that are temporary barriers to the flames and then the one thing in the game i guess besides the shadow of the wood is technically not technically not real but uh neither are the mega hawks which are just a more powerful fire hawk that we made up um, (laughs) just like a transformer like yeah right we were gonna name something else but then everybody's like no no keep it as mega hawk okay so i'm happy with that decision uh, <laughs> and those are another mini expansion that we added so lots of new stuff it's fun to pick and choose um but fire tower as a base game is really easy to learn um takes about five minutes to learn and it's like a 15 to 30 minute game so we wanted to keep that easily accessible gameplay in our expansion so we actually tiered it so you can take on different parts and it's modular you can you know play with certain events but not with you know, others and things like that. So um, it's a lot of new content, but you don't have to play with everything. You sort of, you build the game that works best for you. Although of course, so many people are like, I added everything and I love it that way. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that. (laughs) And then what do you think, like of the pieces of the expansion is your favorite? So there's this, I love the Firehawks, I have to say, but there's this one card that Sam and I always talk about because we don't show it at conventions because it's a lot to explain. You know, people are being introduced to the game for the first time, so we don't play with it. But it's called Heavy Wind, and it's just an ability that you get that you can use at any time during the game. And it allows you to uh, place all your wind cards at once and then place a gem in each of the directions. And when used effectively, I don't know why it's my favorite card. It's just so much fun. Like when I think about it, I just want to like be in a game of fire tower playing that card (laughs) and like building this pattern of wind, sending the fire towards my opponent. 
there's something about it that's extremely satisfying. It just makes me laugh so hard that we're talking about burning people when we talk about (laughs) (laughs) the forest down. But no, that does actually sound like a lot of fun. I know I had a good time just loading up my area with a crazy amount of fire hawks where like it just happened to be the only way to get to me was by, you know, hitting the hawks, which then then I'm going to be burning you down and like I'm going to get over these barriers you put down because, you know, fire hawks have wings. So uh, watch out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like I said, when we made the game, we didn't at all think of it as like this crazy, like burn each other down game. It just was. And then we were like, oh, yeah, that's what you're doing, I guess. I guess that's so a good thing. Playtesting and stuff go and like, how did it change and develop as you were making the original game? I think a lot of what we needed to learn when we made Fire Tower is like who the audience was and who we were making the game for. And I think this is something that I've since learned about playtesting is how important that is. So at first, I think the game was more geared towards like this. It was a little bit more of like a puzzly. You're building these patterns. But then what people really liked about it was how fast it was and how like there's definitely a lot of decision making in it, but it's not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to like sit with your hand of cards and spend 10 minutes deciding what the best move is. You know, it's like a fast paced game. And so once we realized that that was what we wanted and that that, that people seem to like that direction, a lot of our game up, updates were more to like, just improve on that. So things that set up the game, um, if a tower burns, the game automatically speeds up. So it's usually just a few turns between the first tower going down and all the others going down. Just different sort of things that intensify the game, make the fire bigger to keep it in that 15 to 30 minute range, which I think was really important. And then just like making sure, I mean, I think it's like such a common problem with games where you get that hand of cards that you don't, you know, if you're playing with a hand of cards, it's so often, oh, I don't know what to do with this hand. And um, so just making sure that that was never the case, that there's always something that you can do that's interesting and that will help you along in the game. No, I think that's always important because I feel like a lot of times when I'm playtesting games, people are like, oh, I have a crap hand or like, can I get rid of this hand? Especially party games. Like if it's a card based party game, I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I know no. what to tell you, man. I mean, I guess let's house rule it. Like, sure. But it's like you go through all the content if you keep discarding your whole hand. So you got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. And I think I think there's like a fine balance between people just like they want a specific card, which is, you know, their play style or whatever. And saying like, well, you could do this. There's like a few options for you here always. There's something interesting that you can do with this hand. Yeah, I definitely, I always like, so I actually played uh, Holy tonight. And when we were playing it, I was like, I like the fact that if one of these puzzly cards doesn't work, you can just discard a card to just drop one of your like color. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like it's not as efficient because you're dropping one versus three things, but then you get to choose where it's going. And it's like a nice kind of cop out to the rule. Yeah, yeah. So in our, yeah, in our base game, we actually did add that. That's something that we added later is that you can always discard your whole hand or as much of it as you want um, instead of playing that turn, which made a huge difference. And then in the expansion, that's something we added a lot to, like different ways to cycle through your hand if you need to do that. It's fun to have something that's uh, a game that's more malleable. So you can like try all these different things and see uh, what fits with it. I think a lot of times, when people design a game, they get really stuck in what they have decided about the game. And then everything seems too hard to change. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, especially when it's like point based or like engine builder, like it's very different. Yeah. And you're like, I feel like this could do, you know, maybe this could be this option or this option. And, this, and then it's like, oh, that changes this and then changes this and then changes this and then changes this. And thus, I can't do it. <laughs> it's like, way too complicated and fire tower is not like that you can definitely sort of play around with things so um that's been fun especially with doing the expansion but even when we were designing the base game it was, it was easy to make changes to it no i know i played it uh when i was at gen con this year and i played with like two dudes never met him before and then you had uh, mike like demoing the game and he thought i knew these two guys because by the end of it one of them wanted to hug me <laughs> i was just like <laughs> we had so much fun just like talking to each other and just saying all kinds of shenanigans and just be like, Oh, I'm going to bring you down, like talking that big game and not actually doing good at the game. But it was, it was a lot of fun. The dude who had like a Ninja Turtle shirt on, he's just like, can I hug you? Like, this is a great experience. And I'm like, that's what a good game is. Like a good memory, good experience. That's amazing. That's my absolute favorite thing about going to conventions is watching people play together who have, you know, who don't know each other. And then it's like, this is what you hope for as a game designer is that people will bond over your game. That's like everybody's number one goal, or at least it's mine. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. Um, when you guys were deciding like how to get this published, was it always the thought like you were going to self-publish or did you try pitching it around? How did that go? We decided to self-publish pretty early on. I think before we even really understood what pitching it around would mean. Um, and then Right before we were about to actually launch our Kickstarter for it, uh, we did get an offer to publish uh, through another company. And so we were like, oh, okay, so we could go that route. And it kind of actually made us realize how much we wanted to self-publish it. Um, I, I do graphic design as a day job uh, as well as game design. And um, the uh, we we had already worked with my dad who is a fine artist uh so he did all the watercolor artwork for it and him and i because i'm a graphic designer and he's a fine artist we've collaborated on projects for other people a ton something i've done um for many years so it was really cool to collaborate on this project but because we went through that whole process i wasn't ready to let that go um that part of it i know that some games will publish with the artwork and everything as well or some publishers, sorry, will take the artwork as well. But I think by that point, it's like you're learning this whole process of how to get the game out there and how to build a marketing plan and how to build a mailing list. And it's like by the time you get to the end of it, uh, it's hard to give up the reins to somebody else. So we definitely wanted to self-publish by that point. Yeah, I feel like more than not, a publisher will take your game and like retheme it or at least give it new artwork. So I could see having that emotional connection. It's also cute that you worked on something with your dad. Like I've done a little bit of that. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't always work out so well. Like be <laughs> fighting. So that's cool that you've collaborated so often. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing because we've always done it with, you know, somebody else is the client. So it's really fun being the client in this case you know, and sending things back or also no so like because we work together we have like a whole language that we speak it's really funny sam's always like trying to tip in and we're like no 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 no, no. we got this <laughs> we we know how to talk about graphic design and artwork in this 
So, um, and my dad's amazing and he, ha- he cares about it so much and he has a vision for it that like, I can't even imagine not having his input. So if I worked with someone else, I'd just be calling him every day anyway. <laughs> Getting a second opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. And so then when you, so you decided Kickstarter was the route to go, how did you go about setting that up, marketing the game, figuring out what stretch goals, walk me through your process? I think we really focused on the first thing we did when we made the game was take it to a small convention in Massachusetts called TotalCon. Um, we were so nervous. I remember we drove up into the parking lot and Sam Olson was like, we spent a hundred dollars. Like we don't have to stay here. We can just turn right around. We were like in some weird little designer alley thing that they have. Actually, it's an amazing convention. Highly recommend it. But uh, at the time we're like, I was like, if you want to drive away, we can drive away. <laughs> I was totally ready to give up on the whole thing. We pushed through. We set up our table. We didn't even, we had no idea what one does at a convention. I've never been to one. And this guy walks up to us and he's like, can I play your game? We're like, I didn't even, yes, I guess you can. Like I'm so course. sorry. My cat just turned on my piano. <laughs> it's totally fine. My um, cat was clawing at me, so you're good. <laughs> so anyway, we're... Uh, sitting there and people come up and they try the game. I remember there was this six-year-old kid who was like, I still yet to meet a kid that young who's that good at gaming. And he decided Fire Tower was his favorite game and he played it a thousand times. The game has changed so much since that day, but it was such an important moment for us just to realize like, okay, you can bring this somewhere. You can see how people react. People don't hate it. Um, and it's not just like in a playtesting setting. And uh, from then on, we just decided that's the way we were going to go. We were going to do it through conventions. And I think that's kind of been our whole business plan, basically. Uh, Obviously, we've grown since then. But uh, just bringing things to conventions, what we realized is how much we enjoy that. Seeing the interactions that people have, being able to watch somebody play it. You really learn how to market it because people tell you what they like and what they don't like. So you know what to sort of put forward. Uh, you can make changes to the game based on that. And then you can build a mailing list. You can build an audience. And so uh, by the time we launched our Kickstarter, I think we'd been to like 15 conventions all over the Northeast. And we'd met a ton of great people along the way, including tons of great designers who had really, really good advice. And yeah, I think that was just so important. I mean, once you meet the community and get to play with the players it just feels like the ball starts rolling and there's nothing you're going to do to stop it so it was a really great process and i think a little bit more organic than it would have been if we had gone in knowing exactly what we wanted out of this and we're like okay we need to find you know an investor or we need to find uh we need to build a marketing plan in this way so it was kind of haphazard but and we took our time we took like two years to get get it to a place where we could do a Kickstarter. But by the time we were there, we had a small fan base and I don't know, we were just more prepared than we could have ever been in any other way. That's so awesome. So how long in total do you think it went from that inspiration to the game getting to the Kickstarter backers? Oh, like the game actually arriving in people's hands? Actually arriving in their hands and they're playing it. I want to say, I'm actually not sure... I think three to four years, I think. I used to know this. 
<laughs> but then I we started doing the expansion. Now the whole thing is like a blur. <laughs> but yeah, for one game, that's a lot. Oh yeah, no. And how did you end up doing the expansions? Was it just like second print runs of the base game with the expansion added in, or was it its own separate Kickstarter? Yes. Did you just make it and only sell it at conventions? Yeah. So uh, the expansion was part of a second printing as well. So we did a second, pr- or actually, it was a third printing of Fire Tower, but the other one was like a quick interim one. So it was our second big printing of Fire Tower, and then we also added the expansion as well um, and delivered uh, that to everybody at once. Um, and we're working with retailers, so uh, we're not doing distribution, but we are working directly uh, to sell in stores and sell at conventions and sell through Kickstarters when we have them. Very cool. And so what of like this entire experience do you think was like your favorite and your least favorite part of the design journey? Of the design specifically or design, just like or you from can do the game too, if you want to go with all of it, that's fair. Okay. Um, I think my favorite experience would be going to this small convention uh, in Connecticut was I think the second one we went to and meeting all these other designers uh, and publishers and people in the industry. It was my first experience um, after Total Con, uh, but there was just a lot more people there who were connected to the small community that is the board gaming industry. And realizing kind of like, these are my people. I really liked everybody I met. People were so kind. Everyone had tons of advice. And realizing that, you know, through this process, you gain more than just a game that hopefully people will play, but also this community that you couldn't have found any other way. That has been really important to me and continues to be really important to me. I just love the people we've met. Uh, and that's the best part for sure. Uh, least favorite, I think has to be, well, in the whole, in the grand scheme of things, I can do design and I can do the grand scheme, the whole picture, but the whole picture fulfillment is a nightmare <laughs> like logistics <laughs> yeah and especially this year <laughs> yeah and I just we were prepared we did we were fine on our first Kickstarter and then like with COVID and everything with the expansion it was just so nerve-wracking and you're dealing with different countries and I would wake up at five in the morning and just be like I can't go back to sleep because I bet somebody from Europe wrote me or Australia wrote me and I have to respond right away so that they can get back to me and just like the pressure to get it all perfect and uh, to deliver like a really high quality product like that whole manufacturing process and getting it right just very very stressful but also super rewarding at the other end now that it's over I'm like that was great that was fun (laughs) oh my gosh yeah Okay. <laughs> yeah, but oh wow. And shipping, like nobody's excited about having their, you know, shipments go well, but that is so difficult to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in terms of design, I would say my least favorite part are really bad play tests <laughs> when you just get a group of people who don't like your game and they can't put into words and they're, you know, maybe they're not great at critique and they can't tell you in a really great way what they don't like about it so you just leave it with like a really sour feeling uh and yeah that's really rough i think i think play testing can be incredible and i think it can also 
be really hard and people can be really harsh without meaning to be. I think tons of designers have that experience at some point in their design life where they show something and just, yeah, it just does not work or that group just isn't feeling it for whatever reason or you get piled on or something like that. Yeah, no, I've definitely had new designers come into a meetup, show their game, they get the feedback and it's just like they can't really handle negative feedback because they're used to their friends and family going, oh my God, this is amazing. But then you show it in front of other people that are either designers or just like random strangers. And then Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard to like hear that it's not the best thing ever, but it's something you need. Like that's how you grow and you become a better designer. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I also think that like, I know that I've had to work at being a good play tester and it's something that does also take a lot of work. So I think it's also a two way street um, that sometimes you also just have people who play test. And I'm saying this more experiencing people play testing other people's games that there's a whole language to, you know, how to give critique and to make it constructive. And uh, that's the skill. So not everybody has it. And so sometimes you'll watch somebody who's, you know, holding on to their baby, show their game. You know, this is like, this is my baby. I've been working so hard. And, you know, they just get a bunch of, you know, impossible questions to answer or changes that are clearly not in the scope of the game they're trying to make. And that can happen too. So you can just have a play test kind of go sour, which is rough as well. Yeah, no, you have the playtesters that'll try to redesign your game or they're not really helpful or they just straight out are like, I don't like it, but it's like they can't explain why. It's just like the yeah. emotion. It's like, okay, but like, what don't you like? Was there a mechanic? Was there a card? Like, give me something specific I can work off of. Right. And now that I've playtested a little bit more and I, I got to playtest one of your games, which I was really excited about. And I, and you did it perfectly. Like you asked the questions that you needed answered rather than sort of just opening it up for like any random thing that anybody could say. It's like, this is what I need to work on. Help me with this part of it, which I think is super important. I agree. I feel like any good play test should have a list of questions, but of course, like general feedback is always good too. But yeah, it, it, it's easier to go through the pointed questions, whether you're designing or you're developing, or you're just like helping a friend play test their game. Yeah. I've been working on that. It's so hard not to be like, just tell me everything you ever thought while playing this game so that I can, so that I can like throw it at my game. But yeah, no, definitely. So then if you could offer one piece of advice to designers, what would it be? Think about what you really want your game or games to be and what you want out of the experience uh, before you march into something because a designer can be anybody from someone who just made a game for their family for, you know, birthday presents that year or uh, has a $2 million Kickstarter. So I think that like knowing what you want out of the experience um, and going into the experience with that in mind is extremely helpful and can also kind of save you from going down a road that you're not quite ready for. I think that is great advice. And in general, do you guys have any games that you're currently working on that we should know about? Yes, we're working on a few. And I guess I should, I can announce that we're uh, publishing a game of another designer as well. So uh, we're working on two games. One's called Punchbowl. It's a competitive game about making punch with giant fruit. And then we have another uh, roll and write called Northern Woods about surviving 
in the months leading up to winter in the Northeast. Uh, and then we're publishing a game that the title is currently pending, but the current title is Mug Owls, and it's designed by Grace Kendall and Mike Belkel. And it is a riddle party game that is super fun. So we're really excited about that as well. Very cool. Yeah. What's the lineup? Like, which one are we going to see first? Or are you still working out the scheduling? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, we'll be at PAX Unplugged and we're planning on showing Smug Owls and Punchbowl there. Very cool. I'll have to check it out since we'll be seeing Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the riddle game, but it is amazing i love it so much and it's such a clever take on party games i just i think it's super fun you know i actually haven't it's been a while since i played any of mike's designs so i am excited to check it out he has not mentioned yeah. it at all so <laughs> we shall see yeah we feel really lucky to have gotten it i think well and yeah it's basically the idea i'll give you a very brief summary but the idea is that each round um you lay out five cards and the card on one side says what? And the card on the other side is a question mark. You lay three cards in the middle uh, and the way that the cards work, it always creates a riddle. And so they're kind of like randomly generated riddles with this deck of cards. And they're always different because the cards can change order and everything like that. And then everybody tries to think of an answer to the riddle. And it can be the funniest game you've ever played. It can be like really thought provoking. People come up with incredible riddles that are like extremely profound somehow, even though this is like a randomly generated riddle. Um, it's great with kids because kids, uh, you know, just even to be able to think of an answer to the riddle is really impressive. So like I've played it with my six year old nephew who just like loves every single riddle. He like comes up with an invention that works for that riddle. That's so cute. And it's, but then at the same point, I've played it, you know, with my parents or with, uh, with friends or with playtesters who are older. And it's, what I really like about it is the group kind of takes on a tone. Like some will go more serious and some will go more funny and some will do a combination of both. But it's, it's just like, it's, I don't know. It just lights everybody up. It's so much fun. I've had a blast every time I've gotten to play it. And, um, what Mike and Grace did really well was that they came up with the cards that just work so perfectly for this. So um, they made an amazing game. Like content content is key when it comes to a good party game. And it sounds like they did it. Oh yeah. 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 And I'm every single time I'm like, how is this riddle so good? Like they're random cards for drawing. Like, how is it so, you know, it's like the perfect riddle and you have a, have these like incredible answers sometimes that just present themselves because the riddle is so good. So that's really a lot of the magic of it. And yeah, we're thrilled to publish it. We love Mike and Grace and also just like, uh, yeah, it's our first game that we're publishing. So just signed the contract a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, we'll definitely need yeah. to play because this seems like something that would 100% be down my alley. I love being creative and bullshitting. So <laughs> yeah, I feel me. I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm definitely excited to play that in like, oh my gosh, like a month or whatever it's going to be. So is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No. If you're interested in checking out more of our stuff and following our work or buying Fire Towers, go to Runaway Parade dot com 
or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. And then um, I'm Danielle. I'm your host for Game Design Unboxed. And this was episode 27, Fire Tower. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, Twitter at Creative DMR, and then on Instagram at Token Gamer. And that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. But hey, Gwen, thank you so much for joining me. And to close us out, I have one last question for you. Okay. ready for it. All right. So if you could swap your name out on any game and you've like officially now designed Pandemic, Catan, whatever the game is, which game would you choose to have been the designer of? I'm going to go with Galaxy Trucker. I just think it's so much fun and it's so hilarious and I love playing it every single time that's a great game all right very cool that is actually one that i'm ashamed to say i have not played just like you with hot shots <laughs> so i'll have to check it well out i'll go this. yeah we'll go do our homework i will definitely i definitely have to play hot shots this is actually getting embarrassing it's true <laughs> it's okay i mean if you got embarrassed if you're designing a fantasy game and every time someone offered a fantasy game up come on you'd never be able to do it it just happens to be there's only so many fire games <laughs> right, right 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 you know what's funny is the one that everybody always says is firewatch which I did play after like a thousand people recommended it to me, but that's a video game and very, very different. It takes place in a fire tower. It's very pretty. Yeah. I didn't even know what that was. So, okay, cool. (laughs) Perfect. Well, Hey, thanks again for joining me and talking about burning everyone to the ground in fire tower. (laughs) Thank you so much, Danielle. That was a blast. Sure. This has been another episode of game design unboxed inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.